Good morning. The reading today is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21 in the Common English Bible. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1432 if you want to read along with me. It's not that I have already reached this goal or have already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may grab hold of it because Christ grabbed hold of me for just this purpose. Brothers and sisters, I myself don't think I've reached it, but I do this one thing. I forget about the things behind me and reach out for the things ahead of me. The goal I pursue is the prize of God's upward call in Christ Jesus. So all of us who are spiritually mature should think this way. And if anyone thinks differently, God will reveal it to him or her. Only let's live in a way that is consistent with whatever level we have reached. Brothers and sisters, become imitators of me and watch those who live this way. You can use us as models. As I have told you many times, and now say with deep sadness, many people live as enemies of the cross. Their lives end with destruction. Their God is their stomach, and they take pride in their disgrace because their thoughts focus on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. We look forward to a Savior that comes from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our humble bodies so they are like his glorious body by the power that also makes him able to subject all things to himself. This is the reading of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those of you who have been with us either in person or online know that during these weeks we're looking into the little letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. And where in particular, I mean there's just so much here you couldn't possibly deal with it all in five weeks. But we're in particular picking out five, you could call them statements of reality perhaps promises that Paul gives under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help the Christians in Philippi live in a world that's going exactly in the opposite direction of the kingdom of God, not unlike the world we live in today. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first chapter of Philippians and this wonderful promise, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. So God's invested in what's going on in our lives, and he will be present. Then last week, moving into the second chapter, we found another one of these statements 
of reality, of what goes on in a Christian's life. I mean, these things happen as long as we walk with Jesus. And Paul here is challenging these Philippian Christians to work out their salvation, to give themselves to following Jesus. And, they say, and then he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So, yes, we have part of this. But it's God himself that gives the willingness and the power to act. Now, today we go into the third chapter. And another really awesome kind of promise next week We'll go into the fourth chapter and the promise that the God of peace can fill us every day. And finally, the fifth chapter, this awesome promise that, as Paul says, my God will supply all your needs. So today, the third chapter, and toward the end, Paul says, we eagerly await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform us into something like his glorious body. Now this fourth chapter, I mean, we have to step back just a moment, because this fourth chapter, I mean, excuse me, third chapter, I do like the fourth chapter too, but this is the third chapter. This third chapter is so fascinating for what goes on here. It begins with Paul challenging the Philippians to live life's lives full of joy. In fact, joy is one of the ongoing themes of this letter. Some have called this the epistle of joy, which really takes us back when we think of that Paul was at this time in prison. He didn't know whether he would ever be released, might lose his life, or spend whatever was left of it in prison. But in spite of that, in spite of the, all of the things that were happening around him, it's, it's full of joy. So he begins by challenging these Christians to rejoice, and then it's almost like he gets distracted from that theme. He comes back to it in the fourth chapter, almost the same thing said again. But in between, we have, it's almost like a distraction from a distraction. So first, he is distracted, many think, from this theme of joy by some people who are trying to destroy the church. These people who say, you know, you have to be circumcised if you're a man in order to be a Christian. In other words, you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You have to keep all the laws of the Jewish faith in order to become a Christian. And Paul knows this is anathema to the faith. It's the exact opposite of the faith. It doesn't regard the power of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So he begins to talk about that, which then leads him to say to himself, you know, you, you all think you're such good Jews and therefore such good Christians. But, and he goes down this list of things where he says, I'm, you know, I'm the, a Jew of the Jew. I've kept all the laws, Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then 
From that, he gets distracted to think about who he really is. And he, he does this list of all these things that would make him very holy to the Jews. And then it's like he says to himself, but all of that is like, like garbage. It's worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus. And he has this, this marvelous statement where he says, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So in the middle of a distraction from joy to the people who are trying to destroy the church, and there's another group you may have noticed later on that are also doing the same thing. They're, uh, they're the people that he says their God is their belly. belly. It's, just the, it's just the sensual kind of pleasures of life that, that motivate them. But in the middle of a distraction from joy to these people who are trying to destroy the church, he is distracted again, or you might say, he comes back to the very theme of his life, which is this call of God upon his life. To know him. It's all about Jesus. And as he does that, then he takes two powerful metaphors in order to help these Christians, these Philippian Christians, understand why this call is so important to him and why the call of God on our lives can be life-transforming. That call that for many of us we experienced when we first realized Christ could forgive our sins and becomes more real as we walk with him. The first of these metaphors he talks about in verse 12, 13, and 14. And it's really the metaphor of the runner. He says, it's not like I've made it to the goal, which is experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, I guess there were some Christians at that time who said, the life you know right now as a believer, that's, that's the resurrected life. And Paul says, no, what we're experiencing now may be wonderful in Jesus, but there's something even better coming. And so he uses this metaphor of the runner. I press on to the goal of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's like that runner who's putting the last bit of his energy. Caleb Hurdler, right? He's coming to the finish line. He knows he could win the race. And it's not a moment to hold back. It's a moment to throw everything you have into this race following Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to illustrate for us. That the call of God is so powerful on his life. It gives him a reason to run. I think Paul would have really enjoyed being with Eric Little. Remember the story of Eric Little, this, this awesome sprinter? Um, it was made famous for many of us in the uh, Academy Award-winning uh, movie, I think in the 80s, called The Chariots of Fire. So, so just to remind you, Eric grew up in a missionary family in China and studied in England and realized that God had made him 
incredibly fast. By the time he trained and moved toward the 1924 Olympics, there, was, there were those who thought he was the fastest man in the world. And running began to possess him. At least it looked like on the outside. And those of you who saw the movie may remember this scene, actually which came out of life, where Eric's sister is afraid that he is being so distracted by, this, by, by the addiction to running, by the possibility of being the fastest man in the world, that he is forgetting the call of God upon his life in greater ways. In fact, he has sensed God's call to go back to China as a missionary, and so she pleads with him, Eric, yes, you are fast, but it seems as if this is more important to you than the call of God on your life to be a missionary. And there is a statement he makes I will never forget. At this point, he says to his sister, yes, I know that God has called me to China, and I will go as a missionary to China, but God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, anyone who's been possessed by the call of God has something of that sense in life. Not, not that the doing of what they're doing at any moment is really the most important thing. It's the call of God on their life. But that call gives them a reason to run with joy, to know that the pleasure of God is upon their life. So, so Paul is trying to say to these flipping Christians, you know, follow that call. Give yourself totally to that call. Sacrifice anything for the call because it's the call that makes everything else in life meaningful. So that's the first metaphor he uses here. Now, the second metaphor is toward the end of that third chapter, where he talks about citizenship and being a citizen of heaven. And this is really fascinating. Philippi, some of you know, was a Roman colony. Roman colonies were established often by Roman soldiers who had finished their tour of duty, were, had uh, been released from that, and with that tour of duty, regardless of where they had been born, they had citizenship in Rome, which gave them votes and power. And they would often start a city, and that's what Philippi was. It was a colony of Rome. Um, it's sort of like, it's sort of like being a citizen of a country today that's very powerful. And your passport represents something in terms of what your country is in the world. So, so being a citizen of Rome was, was a great advantage to a person. And for Philippi to be a colony of Rome really was much of the identity of the people who lived there. And Paul is saying, yes, that's important. Probably a message to Americans today, because in some way we are the Rome of our age. Yes, that is important. Yes, that is valuable. 
but never forget where your real citizenship is. You are citizens of heaven, and that is your destination. So this call of God not only gives us a reason to run, to just throw ourselves totally in, into what we do in life and the call of God on our life, but it also gives us a destination to reach. The perfect trip for me is the one where I really enjoy the travel and then get to a place I really want to be. So often it's one or the other of those things. But for the Christian, that's what life is supposed to be. A reason to run, a reason to give our very best, but at the same time, a destination that goes beyond any other. And that is, what does Paul say? When by his power, which brings everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies. Listen to this. So they will become like his glorious body. Ever wonder what heaven's going to be like? Well, I think the one thing for sure is anything that's good in this life and satisfying and enriching, there's something better there. And uh, ever think about what kind of body you're going to have? Uh, you know, when we get to, I mean, we will have bodies. I think sometimes when we think about heaven, we think about, uh, you know, bodiless beings kind of uh, fluffing around here and there. But very clearly, the scripture talks about getting a new body or a renewed body. And here Paul says, it's going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. Wow, I like that. You know, he could still enjoy a piece of fish and some bread. So, guys, steak, I, I, something like steak, something tastes better than steak, probably going to be in heaven for us. But at the same time, no waiting in TSA lines at the airport. No sitting in those cramped little seats in the plane or sitting in your car for 12 or 15 hours a day for several days to get far enough where you want to go. None of that. You want to be there? You're there. Apparently, that's the way Jesus' body was. I mean, I'm no prophet, but I tell you, I'm looking forward to heaven. And that gives us a destination. So at times in life, you know, we feel this pleasure, but there's a whole lot of pain around us. So what gives us that extra oomph to stay true to him? It is the fact that the destination is worth any price. Do you remember any of your birthdays, you know, like the celebration of your birthday at a certain point in life? I'm old enough, so I look back and wish I could remember some that I don't. But I do remember my 50th birthday. Uh, now, I'm not sure why altogether it was. We lived in suburban Rochester, New York. I pastored Pierce Memorial Church at Roberts Wesleyan College. Our home was about the equivalent of a block away from the church, but we could walk uh, sort of through some friends' yards and get there quicker. So it was very convenient, but out of sight of the church. No pastor wants to look at his church every morning when he 
gets up before he even has a breakfast. You gotta have some distance. I'm, I'm saying some, that's not true for I, but most would choose to be a block away if they could. Short distance, kind of the perfect for the little apartment that Sylvia and I have over here. No travel, but very few windows looking at the church. Okay, perfect. So I'm walking to the church and thinking about being 50 years old, which I thought was, you know, some kind of accomplishment. And saying to myself, Art, you're halfway home. And by that, I was thinking, you know, you know, 100's not a bad age to grow to, grow to, to live to. And uh, also that means you've not, you've not yet lived fully half of your life. You've got to go through half of this day before that takes place. I mean, laugh at me. I mean, it really is kind of crazy. But, you know, as time has gone on, sometime thereafter, I watched my parents get older and older, and both of them lived into their mid-90s or late 90s, but none of us wanted them to live to 100. Because at a certain point in life, someplace in their 90s, um, they were ready to go home. I mean, ready to go home. Not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally and mentally, especially my mom. She could have gone home a little earlier and it would have been easier for those who were close to her. You know, this world is not our home. If the scientists and doctors could figure out a way to keep us alive forever, that might be one of the worst curses that human beings could experience. And unless they take care of totally every part of disease, and quite frankly, the chance of that happening is pretty low since all of that happens because of the fall. Death is not... that. The way we do death now is... Be, is God's solution to the fall. It's not what, was not what was purposed in the Garden of Eden. But the point is, Paul had a destination that was worth reaching to. A destination where every part of him that wasn't, everything that he would like it to be, would be transformed. Many think he had very poor eyesight, we're not sure about that, but any of you who wear glasses, contacts, etc., know how nice it'd be not to have to wear them. I think about that every once in a while. Whatever the stuff of life is that burdens you down, that is gone. I think Paul would have really liked to know Eric Little for another reason. Um, some of you remember the rest of the story. Uh, he did run in the 1924 Olympics. Uh, at first, it looked like he would not, even though he fully qualified for his strongest race, which was the 100-meter dash. But he discovered that that competition was going to happen on Sunday. On, on Sunday. And for his view of faith, having run on Sunday would have been wrong uh, at that time. A lot of Christians kind of looked at it that way. But he had such a firm conviction of the call of God that he said, running that race is not important enough for me to turn my back on one of my values in life. And so he, he didn't win the 100-meter race because he didn't run the 100-meter race, at least for that reason. 
but you also may remember some of the rest of the story where one of the other British runners who had qualified for the 400 meter race, realizing he already had a medal and that he probably wasn't going to win the 400 anyway, took himself out of the race so Eric could run in it. So he ran the 400 meter race. This is not his race. Those of you who've run know it's a very different race than the 100 meter race, which is the short sprint. This is more middle distance. And Little didn't know how to run middle distance. So he ran it as a sprint and broke the world record and won the gold medal, which we all say is a certain kind of poetic justice and makes an awesome story. But that's not the end of it either. He continued to follow the, God, the call of God on his life, went to China as a missionary, and there he showed what God can really do. He was there when the Japanese invaded China and took over much of it. He was in a Japanese internment camp. In fact, because of his because he was such a notable runner, because of that, he had a chance to be released, some kind of prisoner exchange or something like that. But because he saw one of his fellow prisoners, a woman who was pregnant, and saw the opportunity to show her, to show her release, he gave his place to her and died in that camp and experienced, right? He had run the race, and he experienced the ultimate destination that came in Jesus Christ. I think Paul would have loved Eric Little and many others like him in our world today who, although we don't get everything straight, we know the call of God, and we are determined to follow that call of God until it takes us to that destination which is more important than any other. Mm -hmm.